Well, this morning, I want to talk to you about enriching your world. One of the passages I shared with you in the first series on embrace, where God said he would bless the work of your hands. And he said it like this in Deuteronomy 16, 15. He says, I'll bless the work of your hands so that you'll be joyful. And I've always hoped and prayed for you and for others. And by the way, just looking around, thank you for not being afraid of the snow this morning. If a southern boy can drive in this, I know you hardy snow people can. And just being here today, and we had an incredible first service. But God said joyful, and that's what I pray for you, that you'll find joy, you'll find dignity. You have dignity. Work doesn't give you dignity. You have dignity because you're created in the image of God. But when you work, and you do the work that God designed you for and shaped you for, you find joy in that work. And one of the things that I think is so important is that if you're going to enrich your world, then so much of it depends upon your attitude and making the world a better place around you. Our work is to be productive. And if I say productive, then automatically people begin to think mechanically here because of the genius of Henry Ford's production lines and assembly lines. So let me say it like this. Your work is to be creatively and authentically productive. I think that's a better way to say it. It's creative and authentic because you're created in the image of God. It's not only creative and authentic because you're created in the image of God, but God has put certain skills and talents and abilities in you that reflect who He is. None of us reflect God perfectly, but the idea is for the church to reflect who God is as we all work together and minister in love together. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4 says that you're partakers of his divine nature. Now that you've given your heart to Jesus, you are partaking of the very divine nature of God. So your work can be creative and authentic because the creator, the most authentic being in the, in the universe, lives inside of you. Can you give the Lord a hand of praise for that? I mean, think about that. You're partaking of His very divine nature. Now, that doesn't mean that we're little gods, but the nature of God is in you when you give your heart to Jesus. And on top of that, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And when you read about the Holy Spirit and the kind of fruit that He produces, I mean, that's creative and that's authentic. You've never known authentic love until you've known Jesus. You've never known authentic patience until you've known Jesus. You've never known authentic long-suffering until you've known Jesus. But when the Holy Spirit lives in you, then He creatively and authentically begins to produce this kind of life in you. And when He does that, there's this quality from Genesis 1 that we've looked at in every one of these messages. There's this quality from Genesis 1 that takes place. You create and you make a better world around you. You enrich your family. You enrich 
your neighbors. You enrich the people you work with. You enrich your community. You are the, the salt and the light of the earth. And when I say creative and authentic, the thing I want to drive home to you is, is that each of us have different jobs, but nobody's job is more important than somebody else's. It's the mistake that we make sometimes, whether it's a capitalist society or a socialist society, it's the mistake that we make sometimes when we try to say this person is more valuable, this person is more important. Whether you're a skilled heart surgeon or whether you're a postal carrier or a mechanic or a homemaker, your work is no more important than the skilled heart surgeons. As a matter of fact, when it comes to our nurseries, I'd much rather have a skilled, caring, loving child caregiver in our nurseries than have a heart surgeon that doesn't have time for any kids at all, right? If my car breaks down, the last thing I need is some computer nerd that doesn't understand the car trying to repair my car. Let's make it a little more important than that. If your plumbing backs up, you don't need the president of the United States in your house because he don't know how to fix your plumbing. You don't need a senator in your house. You need somebody that's not afraid to get messy and clean that up and get things working again, right? So, I'm trying, just hang in there. <laughs> the thing is, God gives you creative and authentic work. When our first son was born and while our children were growing up, Becky stayed home. She was a homemaker. She was a mother to our children and she homeschooled our children and she took care of our home. And when I came home and asked Becky about her day, I never came home and said, did you have a productive day? That's why I'm still alive and standing here today. <laughs> I come home and I say, tell me about your day. Tell me about the kids. And we'd have this time together every single evening that I was home just before we talked. And then when I was traveling, called home. And boy, I have just wished so often that we'd had iPhones in those days where we could have FaceTime and had the, the ability to Skype or FaceTime with one another. I want you to stand with me and I want to read to you because Becky's work as a mother was just what I described to you. It was authentic. It was creative. She brought in the divine nature of God to our children. The plumber who loves God and, and we've got two plumbers in this church who love the Lord. Matter of fact, one of them was helping me, came over and took care of some work for me at the house and we sat downstairs and I had no clue what he was doing and just he kept saying pastor just back out of the way back out of the way I tried to help him pastor just talk to me let's talk about your last message I felt like I was in therapy you know but we talked about the Lord sitting there in the basement over the sump pump well and and he just you know his work was creative and authentic and we prayed together. You see, nobody's work is more important, but you have the power and the ability to enrich the world around you. Now, don't take it on my word. Take it on God's word. 2 Corinthians 9, 11. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. 
Now, he's talking about money here, but I want to make this about so much more than money. Your time, your friendship, your gifts of love to people, buying a cup of coffee to somebody. Don't you like to give? I mean, really, think about it. Don't you like to give? I like being in the position where I can give. I'm so thankful not to be in the position where I'm needing. I need love. I need friendship. But there's something about giving that's just powerful. And he says, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, when you enrich people's lives with your friendship or whatever, they'll thank God. Look at Proverbs 11, 24. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. Now that's God's word. When you're enriching others, you're expanding. You're pushing out the walls. You're like Sam, uh, uh, Samson who pushed those pillars down. You're pushing out. You're making your world larger when you enrich others. But the stingy, their world gets smaller and smaller. Proverbs eleven eighteen: Evil people get rich for the moment but the reward of the godly will last. And all through the book of Proverbs, all through the book of Proverbs, Solomon keeps talking about the difference between treasure that lasts and treasure that perishes. When you enrich others, you are building treasure that will last. And then Proverbs eleven eighteen: a wicked person earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. Well, Father, on this snowy Sunday, there is unlimited potential and possibility for all the communities that we live in because of each person here. And I'm praying and I'm asking you right now in the name of Jesus, God, you have put a fire in my heart and I pray that you'll help me to just to deliver this, that you would anoint me in such a way that it's your word and your principles that are imparted this morning. And when enough has been said, God, I ask you to ignite it and set it aflame in every one of us. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. One of the things that I remember my mother teaching me when I was very young and because I was confused about some things that were happening and uh, she told me, she quoted the scripture to me that God is a God of order. God is not a God of disorder. God is not a God of confusion and chaos and that later as I began to study the word and began to take theology courses when I was in school and I saw the orderliness of God and how that God took and brought creation out of chaos, one of the things that I came really quickly to understand is just what an orderly God he is and all of the laws that he's put. There are spiritual laws just like there are natural laws. There are natural laws of nature and there are spiritual laws. And one of those laws is that all life begins as a seed. All dreams begin as a seed. All businesses begin as a seed. All 
marriages begin as a seed of thought in somebody's mind. Children begin as a seed in our life, and everything is connected. The laws of physics and the laws of chemistry, the laws of mathematics, the laws of, of nature, God's law, the, the natural law that we know from studying science and we study the world about us, those are laws that God created, but the Bible also gives us some very specific spiritual laws as well, and they're, they're very orderly laws. Did you know if the earth was tilted one degrees to the right, the earth would burn up? If the earth was tilted one degrees to the left, the earth would freeze. God is such a God of precise order. And when you consider all of the ways that God has created and fashioned and shaped this planet on which we live, you learn a lot about God. That's why God will say at the judgment seat, no one will be ignorant because the heavens declare who God is and they declare the glory of God. You can know about God if you want to. And the amazing thing that I've learned about these laws is I benefit from laws whether I understand them or not. And there are some things that my mind just doesn't comprehend, but because my mind doesn't comprehend them, doesn't mean that I don't benefit from them. I don't understand electricity. As a matter of fact, I will share with you a fear. I, I'm afraid of electricity and down lines, and whenever I have to do something at the house, I shut the master switch off to go do it because I'm afraid of electricity. I'd rather be alive than to be dead. So I shut everything off and people will say, you don't have to do that. I go, yes, I do. Do not touch just that one button or you go do it yourself and I'll preach your funeral if you die, no charge, okay? So I shut everything off, but I benefit from electricity every time I flip on a switch. I don't understand the laws of internal combustion, but I benefit from the gasoline that was in my car that I drove to the church in this morning. I don't understand the laws of gravity, but we benefit every day from the laws of gravity. Albert Einstein said, no one can understand the law of gravity because a spinning body repels and flings things away from it. But somehow or another with the natural laws that God has created, there is this law of gravity. And aren't you grateful for that? Because we keep our feet planted upon this solid earth. And aren't you glad you can depend upon God's law? The laws of electricity aren't going to change. The laws of internal combustion aren't going to change. The laws of gravity aren't going to change. What if God was an undependable God and gravity worked Monday through Wednesday but Thursday through Sunday, gravity didn't work. And we had to wear gravity boots, and we had to be fastened to the ground. And everybody would say, oh, I can't wait till Monday. Nobody ever says they can't wait till Monday because they have to go back to work. But if the law of gravity was working, you couldn't wait for Monday. Am I right? And so there are these laws that we benefit from if we cooperate with them, whether or not we understand them. We're not a prosperity gospel church. We're not a church that preaches that everybody is going to be a millionaire. We've never preached that. I've never preached that or believed that. As a matter of fact, Jesus says just the opposite. Jesus tells us that some people will never be very, very wealthy at all. Jesus tells us that our lives don't consist in the abundance of things that we possess. Jesus teaches us that our lives is not about the acquisition of things, but he does give us certain laws about saving and investing and tithing and giving and managing our lives 
He says, if you will follow these laws, you will prosper, you will abound, you will increase, and that God will make you rich. He gives you the power to gain wealth. It is not saying that everybody is going to be a millionaire, but God says, you may not understand these laws, but if you cooperate with these laws, you're going to be blessed. And if you don't cooperate with those laws, you're going to be cursed. And don't think that's mean of God, because if you don't cooperate with certain laws, you're going to die. If you don't cooperate with the laws of good health, you're going to die. If you don't cooperate with certain laws of safety, you're going to die. It's not the fact that God is mean, but God is an orderly God, not a God of chaos. And God gave us these laws and said, if you'll abide by them, then I'll bless you. Now, there is a spiritual law that applies to everything in life that I want to take you to in Matthew 17 and verse 20. Jesus said, if you had faith no larger than a mustard seed, and for those of you who aren't aware of that, mustard seed's a very tiny, tiny little seed. It's, it's, you'll miss it. It's like a speck in your hand. If you had faith no larger than a mustard seed, you could tell this mountain to move from here to there, and it would. Read this last sentence with me and everything would be possible for you. Read it again, please. And everything would be possible for you. Now, we have this tendency in Western society, and most particularly in the United States. I've never seen it in any other nation like I've seen it in the United States. We have this tendency in the United States to ignore the small things. We have this tendency in the United States to ignore the little things. Because in America, we like big. In America, we like instant. In America, we like flashy. In America, we equate bigness with success. In America, we like to pull up to McDonald's and say, supersize it. And we like the big Coke and the big French fries and the extra calories and all of that stuff that comes with it. Because in America, we believe in bigness. And that's one of the things that I love about our country. But one of the, not the McDonald's, but one of the things that I don't like about is the fact that we ignore the small things. I'm telling you this morning, and this is not in your outline, but you ought to write it down. Celebrate the small things. Celebrate the little things. Celebrate the trifles. Celebrate the little wins. Celebrate those things that you are not thinking is significant. Because Jesus says, you don't have to have great faith. You've just got to have faith the size of a mustard seed, and everything would be possible for you. Well, you can give the Lord a hand of praise on that. Michelangelo that we've had the privilege of touching and being and looking at so many of his statues around the world and just looking and just, I'm not a big sculpture guy. It's the last thing in the world that I want to look at. But when it's Michelangelo, it's different. It's because it's like something is alive and something is living. And once somebody came in to ask him about a certain sculpture, what kind of progress he was making, And Michelangelo told them, he said, I've made a lot of progress this week. Come and see. He was excited to show them. And they went in and they said, well, it looks the same. He goes, no. He says, I've sanded here. I filed here. I polished here. And this untrained person could not see what he had done. And they said, well, it really doesn't look any different to me. And Michelangelo said, it is the small things that make 
the masterpiece. And I would say to you, it's the small things that you do with your son. It's the small things you do with your daughter. It's the small things you do with your wife. It's the small things you do in your community. It's buying a cup of coffee for a stranger. It's giving to a person in need. It may not be much in your sight, but it's the small things that can mean life and friendship. And sometimes it can also mean a second chance for somebody else. Well, give him another hand of praise this morning. Celebrate the small things. When I was in Ethiopia, I got to tell you, of all the countries I visited, Ethiopia was one of the most fascinating places. And I have little slave stamps where they would brand slaves and writings on skins that was in Amharic and people all the time when I'm talking to them about certain things. I've noticed it always, so much history goes back to Ethiopia. Coffee, for instance, you knew I would get that in there, didn't you? Is the birthplace of coffee, but one of the things the Ethiopians are fond of, they love Proverbs, and one of the Proverbs that they told me there was simply this, when spider webs unite, they can tie up a lion. Now, this last week, there was a lady who came in to see me. She had something very important and urgent going on in her life and her family, and she wanted to talk to me. And while she's sitting there and I'm listening to her, she goes, I'm sorry, Pastor, I I can't focus. And I go, are are you okay? What's wrong? And she goes, well, there's a cobweb behind you. (laughs) I said, excuse me? She said, there's a cobweb. I turned around and said, I don't see it. And she says, come here, Pastor. And so I came over there and I squatted down beside her in her chair. And when the light was just right, I could see this tiny little cobweb. And so I just got something and got it. And I said, can you focus now? She goes, yes, that's much better. So I, I got to thinking about that. And I thought, that little cobweb, it distracted her for what was bothering her. She, it wasn't that she was being funny. She couldn't focus because that little cobweb was moving. And friends, it's the small things and your small things and my small things, your spider web, my spider web, all of our webs together. The Bible says that the devil goeth about like a roaring lion, but your mustard seed faith and my mustard seed faith can tie him up into so many knots we can defeat his plan and downriver. If you believe that, say amen this morning. Hallelujah. So never, ever, ever neglect the small things in life. It's how wars are won. It's how businesses are won. It's how families are built. But let me tell you, at the same time, using that cobweb again, don't you fail to neglect how powerful the negative small things are in your life as well. Because those negative small things that you allow, those little negative thoughts, those little negative attitudes, those negative words that you speak to your children, those negative words that you say to your wife or your husband, or those negative things, the gossip that you share at work, or the criticisms that you share, suddenly they begin to build up, and they not only choke the faith of others, but they begin to choke your faith, because they're like cobwebs. They start attracting other things to themselves, and you go... It's not that significant. It's not that big, Pastor. Listen to the words of Solomon. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. And so it's important that we guard our thoughts and we take captive our thoughts and we cast them down. One of my favorite stories is one that President Reagan used to tell of a lady who came over and knocked on her neighbor's door and when he answered, she says, don't you own a pit bulldog? A black pit bulldog? And he says, yes, ma'am, I do. She says, well, I'm sorry to tell you. She said, my Pekingese just killed your pit bulldog. 
He goes, what? You're kidding. How did your Pekingese kill my bulldog? She said it choked him to death while he was trying to swallow it. (laughs) Oh, I love you so much. (laughs) The first service didn't laugh at all. (laughs) I told him you would. I had faith in you, didn't I, Rick? (laughs) You see, it's those little things. It's those little things that we allow into our lives that choke us. It's those little things that choke out our faith. So let me say to you this morning, everything begins with a seed. Every thought, every dream, positive or negative. God said, Genesis 1:11, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. And these seeds will produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. Read that sentence with me. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. One more time, please. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. Friends, everything starts with a seed. Dreams, marriages, businesses, churches, ideas, your life, Zephaniah says, never despise the day of small beginnings. Number two, my potential then depends upon my planting the seed God has given me. My potential in life, my potential to enrich the lives of others, my potential to enlarge my world, my potential to expand my boundaries, it comes from my willingness to plant. In John chapter 12 and verse 24, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels and a plentiful harvest of new lives. Now, Jesus was not a philosopher, but I want you to stop and think with me this morning of all the things that Jesus said that are like oxymorons. They're common sense. We know they're true, but they fly in the face of what the world tells us about life. For instance, Jesus says, If you want to be great, you've got to learn to become the servant. Jesus says, if you want to live, you've got to be willing to die. Jesus says, if you want to receive, you've got to be willing to give. You see, these principles, these seed faith principles in life, they oftentimes sound contradictory to what the world says about life. And let me tell you, they really, really are. Jesus says, what you sow, the very thing you sow, it's going to come back to you what you've planted. Sometimes people will say to me, well, maybe what I sow won't come back to me what I planted. Maybe it'll come back a different way. Friends, that's just not true. The principle is what you sow is what you're going to reap. That can be positive or that can be negative. But planting means dying. A farmer is a fool if he doesn't plant his seed. A farmer will go into bankruptcy or receivership and lose his farm. Sometimes people tell me they're waiting on God when God is waiting on us. Sometimes people say, I'm waiting on God to do a miracle. One time, the people of God were praying, and Moses was, was, was praying too with the people of God, and, and God said to Moses, tell the people to stop praying. As a pastor, I try to get people to pray all the time. We had a wonderful prayer meeting, a well-attended prayer meeting here last night. There were people standing in the gap for you last night. There were people on their knees for you last night. There were people praying about your issues and your problems, and they were crying out. But God says that there comes a time when you stop praying, and he says, Moses, tell them to stop praying. You extend your rod over the Red Sea, and you take a step of faith, 
and then I'm going to do the rest. And sometimes it's time to get up from your knees, it's time to get out of your prayer closet and quit waiting on God to send manna from heaven, but get up and walk by faith and get out in the field and plant some seed for the glory of God. That's what he calls us to do. You don't just wait for a job. You don't just wait for a husband or a wife. You don't just wait for your healing. You just don't wait for income. You start planting. Please put that scripture back up for me, John 12, 24. Look at this again. I tell you the truth. I mean, when Jesus says that, there's an emphasis here. Jesus doesn't lie to us, but it's almost like this is hard for us to believe. So he says, Matt, I'm telling you the truth. Listen up, boy. It's like he's saying, I want you to pay attention. Unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and it dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, read this last phrase with me, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Friends, I'm telling you, I don't know what you dream about when you dream about a plentiful harvest, but when I dream, I dream big, wild, hairy dreams. This week I had a dream just before I woke up and it, matter of fact, it woke me from such a sound sleep from a church that I'm familiar with and pastoral staff that I'm familiar with and people in that church and there was this fighting and there was this backbiting going on and it was being disruptive and this, I, in the dream, the communities, it's thrust into the community was being lost and so I, I rolled out of bed and just began to pray until the peace of God began to pass understanding and throughout the day I found myself coming in here when I was at the office and praying in here and when I was headed to the hospitals, I was praying in the spirit and praying about this dream I had because I know that what happens is when people get their eyes off of God, they start dreaming and they start looking at themselves. Friends, there's something powerful. There's something good. There's something godly. There's something holy about a dream which tells me that what I sow, I'm going to reap. And if I sow beans, I'm going to reap beans. If I sow corn, I'm going to sow corn, reap corn. I can sow positively or I can sow negatively. I can sow lovingly or I can sow hatefully. I can sow generously or I can sow stingily. But what I sow, I'm going to reap. And there's not a single person, listen to me, there's not a single person in this room that can escape that law. Just like you can't escape the law of gravity, you can't escape the laws of nature, you cannot escape these spiritual laws. What you sow is what you're going to reap. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. What's God saying there? That can be taken positively as well. It can be taken negatively. If you sow friendship, you're going to reap friendship. If you sow love, you're going to reap love. If you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. But if you sow negatively, listen to Proverbs 26. These are not in your outline, but if you set a trap for others, you'll be caught in it yourself. If you roll down a boulder on others, it'll crush you instead. Now look at me. That's why it's so important if somebody says something hateful about you, never say something hateful back. If somebody criticizes you, never say something critical back. If somebody gossips about you, never gossip back. Trust God. 
trust God. God says this person is sowing and the boulders that they're putting out there are gonna roll back up on themselves. You continue to walk like Jesus, you continue to think like Jesus, you continue to talk like Jesus, you continue to act like Jesus, you continue to do good, you continue to love, you continue to forgive, and I promise you that God will lift you up in due time because no weapon formed against you shall prosper, but if you begin to sow negatively out of fear and you backbite and you criticize and you gossip and you become defensive, then suddenly you trust yourself rather than trusting God. If God be for me, who in this world could ever be against me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You sow a thought, you reap an act. You sow an act, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. You sow a character, you reap a destiny. What you give, you're going to get back. And then number four, God has blessed you and God has blessed me with other people who have planted into my life. And that's a great thing. My dad, we used to teach. As a matter of fact, I was telling somebody who was asking me about dad this week. Daddy, he was known, he could make a dead stick grow. Sometimes he would find a stick and somebody would say, that's dead, and daddy would say, no, it's not. Yes, it is. And he would take that thing and plant it. It always involved some sort of manure, so that's the reason a lot of people didn't want to be around it. And daddy, soon you'd see little buds starting to come up. He knew he, he was good. He could take a field of sand and turn it into a productive field because he knew what had to be added. He knew what had to be given to that field. And he would go to the river swamps and sometimes other people would come to him and say, Buford, how can I get this field to grow? How can I get something out of it? And dad say, come with me. And he would take them and he'd sow into their lives and their fields would begin to produce. You see, there are people that have planted into your life I'm so thankful for my grandparents that became Christians. I'm so thankful for my parents who became Christians. I'm so thankful for the spiritual heritage that I have. I'm so thankful for the heritage that you have. I'm so thankful for the people that built the roads that we drove upon. I'm thankful for the people that are working in this snowy weather to make sure our lights are on. We've got men in our church that are out this morning because of weather conditions. They're there working so that you and I can worship here and we can be heated and cooled in our homes. I'm so thankful for our military that defends our freedoms around the world. I'm so thankful for the energy that others have put into my life, the time they put into my life, the creativity they put in life. They enlarged my world, and I believe by faith God has enlarged their world as well for pouring. And friends, there are people that have poured into your life. You are not sitting there because you're a self-made man. You are sitting there because somebody prayed for you. You are sitting there because somebody taught you. You are sitting there because somebody Somebody believed in God and said, I want to be generous and give into this man or woman's life. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? I never met him, but I know the name Columbus Nix, and I've often prayed and prayed for Columbus Nix because when my grandfather died, my grandfather that I never met, and he died when my daddy was six, I've heard my uncles talk about Columbus Nix. I heard my grandmother talk about Columbus Nix. And my daddy talk about him to his dying breath. And he'd say, I learned it from Columbus Nix. Mr. Nix would work all day on his farm and come down and help my grandmother Mary work her children on our farm so that my grandmother didn't lose the farm and kept things going. Friends, you've got to understand something. God has blessed you with planters. But some of you in this room this morning, your history 
and your legacy is much different than mine. You maybe have suffered abuse. You've maybe suffered divorce or you've maybe suffered abandonment or you've suffered bigotry. Some of you that have come in and talked to me, you have shared with me your life was bigotry, bigotry, bigotry. You hated other races. You hated other people. But God broke that chain in your life and you're beginning a new legacy with your children and your family and there's some words that are not acceptable and some of you, you grew up with generations of divorce, divorce, divorce and when it came your turn to divorce, you and your wife committed your lives to Jesus and you said we're gonna break that chain now and we're gonna live our lives out and we're gonna model the love of Jesus for our families and it wasn't easy, it was hard but you kept sowing and today you're not just saying I love you but you're feeling the love, you're experiencing the love. I want to tell you every chain of hell can be broken in the name of Jesus Christ if we cooperate with the spiritual laws of God. It's time to bring down the dominions of darkness. Hallelujah. It's time to bring them down. And you do that by planting. You stop the abuse by beginning to pour into others. And then fifthly this morning, God, he created different seasons for different seeds. Different seasons for different seeds in your life at different times. I wanted, I set it out and when Becky got sick, I just got a little flustered this morning and was going to get stuff for her and came back and rushed out. But I have on my bookshelf at home a big, big jar of, sealed jar of pecans that come from the pecan trees on the farm that we sold. And those pecans, they're a rare pecan. They're tiny, they're hard, but the meat is so sweet inside of them. But I saved those pecans because I want to plant them one day. But you see, when I plant those pecans, I'll never eat from them. Because those pecans, when you plant a, if you're an adult, when you plant a pecan orchard, you're planting for the next generation. When you plant a pecan orchard, you're watering for the next generation. You're cultivating for the next generation because you won't live long enough to be able to harvest the crop. And some of us this morning, we're planting seeds that we won't see the harvest of, but our children will see the harvest. Our grandchildren will see the harvest. I walk with Dr. Jerry Purvis, prominent cardiovascular surgeon, dear, dear friend of mine that passed away last year when he planted a pecan orchard. And we walked over acre after acre of drip irrigation. And he said to me, he said, Pastor, I'm not planting these for myself, but I'm planting these for my grandchildren, for Juliet and for Jerry's children, that they'll have a place to come to in a farm. He said, this is what I came from before I was a heart surgeon. And he said, I want to leave them a legacy. There are some things that you're planting you will never eat the fruit of, but then there are seed like corn that when you begin to plant it in just a few months, you're going to harvest. When you begin to tithe, you're going to harvest almost immediately. That's why I say if God doesn't meet your need in the first three months and you start tithing, you you let me know. We'll give you back all your tithe. But I've never had to do that in 40 years of ministry because God is true. You cannot outgive God. When you tithe, you unlock the windows of heaven and God says, I will pour out on you a blessing you can't contain. You haven't got enough bushel baskets to contain what God wants to do in your life. But there is different seed. There is different seed for different times. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 2. Some of you thought these, Pete Seeger wrote these words. Some of you don't even know who Pete Seeger was. 
For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest. Some of you are singing that song in your head right now, aren't you? (laughs) You see, long ago, God gave us this principle. There is instant, look at me now, there is instant fame, but there's not instant success. You see these musicians like Mark and Dan and Steve and all the rest of the musicians up here. I'm looking out and I'm seeing all of you that sing and you're part of this and some of you who write songs, some of you who write dramas. And I could just go on looking around the people who are in the creative arts team this morning. It took you years of practice and skill It took you writing songs that you threw in the trash. It took years to learn how to hold a note. It took years to learn how to project. It took years to learn how to play. Some of you that are your skilled trades, it took you years to perfect that craft. If you're an artist, it takes years to to learn your skill set. But then suddenly, you're discovered overnight, and there's instant fame. And we live in a world today where you can have instant fame today and be forgotten tomorrow as well. You can be a YouTube phenom if you get the right thing. You read about the parents who are going to jail because this week they're going to jail because they made a funny video of their kids and it went viral and so they started doing things cruelly to their kids to get more viral videos and they just got arrested because they got hooked on the fame. But don't you ever make the mistake, those of you that are successful, look at me, look at me. Don't you ever make the mistake, whether you're a nurse or a doctor or a pilot or whatever you are, fame is not the same as success. Success is what you become in private as you plant the seed of skill and time. You see, when I plant my seed, it looks like I've lost it. If I, when I plant those pecans, it will look like I've lost them. You'd say, don't you want to keep them in the jar? When I plant them, God is at work. And when I give, God is at work. When I give my friendship, I have given to people, and I like to do this. Never see them again. Pastor Rick and I were talking about this this week. People that we've helped. I like doing that even though I may never see him again. But I like the fact of knowing we planted a seed and that God is at work. Now, let me tell you what would make me bitter if I thought, now, I'm the one that's got to make it grow. So if I plant the seed and it doesn't grow, I'm like, that was just bad soil. There's no bad person out there. There's a person just like you and just like me that needs Jesus Christ. They're called sinners and they're lost in their sin and Jesus Christ loved people so much like that that he gave his life at Calvary. You never waste when you reach out to lost people. You never waste when you reach out to lost people. You never waste. Well, believe it or not, I'm almost done. Number six, the Bible teaches me to expect to reap more than what I sow. Some fell on good earth and came up with a flourish, producing a harvest exceeding even his wildest dreams. Well, this week when I was preparing, I thought, I wonder how many kernels of corn are on a cob of corn. So I went to that great depository of knowledge called Wikipedia. 
And Wikipedia says, and let me read it to you, that one ear of corn contains roughly 800 kernels and 16 rows. So that tells me if I plant one seed and I only get one ear of corn, I get an 800-fold return, right? However, you and I both know that if I plant one seed, that stalk of corn is going to produce several ears of corn. That's quite an abundant return, which tells me I can multiply. This is called the law of proportion. If I multiply the seed of planting, if I multiply the seed I'm planting, then I can expect an abundant harvest. Now go back, put the scripture back up there, please. This is why Jesus said, some fell on good earth and came up with a flourish, producing a harvest, exceeding his wildest dreams. Say those last two words with me. Wildest dreams. Say it again. Wildest dreams. What do you dream about? What do you dream about that is impossible? What do you dream about that is so wild? What do you dream about that if you were to share it with other people, you would be almost embarrassing because they would look at you and go, you have lost your ever-loving mind. But I think God is pleased with people who plant seed and say, God, I believe you're big enough. I believe you want me enriching other people's life. And friends, this law of proportion is true in the energy I expend. It's true in the talent you expend. It's true that you can increase your harvest. It is basically saying that whatever you give to God, God will multiply it back to you. And this includes money. Again, we are not a prosperity gospel church, but I'm just going to give you what the Bible says. Read this out loud with me. Remember this. No, read with me. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide in your heart how much to give. Stop. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to twist your arm. But I'm going to tell you what God says. You've got to decide. And here's how you give. But the one, keep reading, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or give in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Think about that. We love to give cheerfully. I loved planting time. My daddy would come home with an extra kick in his step. Now, we burned our fields in the autumn, and then he'd cut them all up and let them lie fallow. But when planting time came, daddy was happy. There was this kick in his step, and I would go out. I can remember riding in his lap on the tractor, and he would be planting. And he would tell me what was going to happen when he planted. You see, when you plant, you're confident you're going to reap. And then number seven this morning, starting is the beginning of winning. If you don't start, you're not gonna win. If you don't share your love, if you don't share your friendship, if you don't reach out to your neighbor, if you don't walk across the street, if you don't get equipped, if you don't expand your world, if you don't enjoy, if you don't begin to do those small things and take those small steps, you will never begin to win. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Brothers and sisters, now is the time to start. Plant your seed in the morning. Keep busy all afternoon. For you don't know if your profit will come from one activity or another, or maybe both. 
2 Corinthians 9.11, skip to that one if you would, Adam. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can give and always be generous and when you take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. For some of you, it's time to begin. And some of you right now, it's time for you to reach into your mind and cast down those spiderweb negative thoughts that says, I won't have enough or I can't and stop listening to your fears and start listening to God. Your neighbor needs you. The employee that you work with needs you. There have been times when people have called me and said, Pastor, I was scared to death, but I felt like Jesus wanted me to talk to this person at work, and I've just been looking for the way. You've always said, just be aware of the opportunity, and I saw them hurting, or I saw them angry about something, and I just simply said, I'm a Christian. Is it right if I pray for you? And they, people responded to me positively, Pastor, and now we're beginning to have a friendship. They were scared. Sometimes it's scary to put your seed in the ground but God is at work in the things that you and I cannot see. And now here's the part, and Mark, if you'll come on up to the piano, buddy. Here's the part where it gets tough. You can't give up when you get to the messy middle. You can't give up. In his book, Don Miller talks about the messy middle. He he writes a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. It's a really great book. I've recommended his other book here before, Blue Light Jazz. But he talks about the experience of crossing a stretch of water. And he says, in between leaving the shore and getting to the other side is the hard work of the middle. He said, pushing off gives us the rust of anticipation and progress, but the anticipation inevitably fades. And the progress seems to grind to a halt. He goes on in that chapter to say, it's been like this with all of my crossings. And I got to tell you, those are very true words. Everything I've ever started, everything I've ever begun, there's always that kick that my daddy had when it came time to plant. But after you plant, you got to cultivate. After you plant, you got to weed. After you plant, you got to treat the crops for the insects, for the worms, the borworms, the beetles, the aphids. You got to guard the crop. You got to watch over what God's doing. It is that part that gets hard. It's the starting of a new career. It's the starting of a new job. You're just so excited. It's like your children when they're little and it's time to go back to school. They got their new clothes. They're excited to see their friends again. And for the first week of September, it's great. And then they remember why they wanted school to get out. It's like that in everything. It's messy. It's like that when I go for a run. Anytime I try to reach a new goal, I get excited, I get pumped up, I go out, I start off with so much energy, and then about mile three or mile four, mile five, you just, you're hurt. Your knees hurt, your ankles hurt, and you go, 
You're a grandpa now. You don't have to do this anymore. You're running and you just keep going and you go, the doctor said you shouldn't do this. And then you tell yourself everything the doctor told you you shouldn't do, if you'd have done, you'd have been dead by now. About halfway through that next mile, you're going, oh, I got something cold to drink at home, a hot shower would feel good right now. You don't have to do this. And then in a few minutes, the Apple Watch taps you on the wrist and you look down and you go, I got a half mile to go. Steve, do you know what I'm talking about? Sure you do. I've got a half mile to go. And all of a sudden, the pain's gone, the ache's gone, the thought of the Gatorade is gone, and you pick them up and you put them down and you get a second win and you come across the line and you go, I'm a winner! But you never get there if you give up in the messy middle. And then you come into the house and you go to Becky. Hey, let me tell you what I just did. I'm your man. She says, go get a shower. (laughs) You see, it's that messy middle that kills us all. It's when we start to tithe. It's when we give to a project like R3. You know, we've got our parking lot. We've got our roof. We're saving towards the construction of our next phase our pavilion and garage and the playscape and we're going to keep but you know it's easy to give up but you push through the messy middle Galatians 6 9 let's not get tired of doing what's good at just the right time we will say it with me we will say it again like you mean it we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up so I want you to focus not just on the short term, but focus on the long term. Focus on the next generation. Focus on your children and your grandchildren. Focus on the small things. And I know some of you, you may be in a place right now that your marriage is in a mess and you're full of tears. Or your children may be in a mess and you're full of tears. Or maybe last night, you and your wife sat down with your finances. Or maybe you're a single mom and you sat down with your children and your finances and you just cried. But I want to give you a promise. God says those who go forth sowing in tears that they will harvest with shouts of joy. Those who go forth sowing in tears, they'll harvest God's at work in your life. I don't know what you're grieving this morning, but I want to tell you it's okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve and to weep. There are things in life that I grieve almost every day. Grieving's good. You grieve with hope. But don't groan. Because when you groan, you moan. When you groan, you're complaining. When you groan, you're griping. There's a difference between grieving. You can grieve loss. Maybe your retirement's taking a hit. Maybe your finances are taking a hit. Maybe your marriage, and you grieve that. But don't groan and complain. Because you're spinning those webs of negativity. 
You're saying, God, you haven't been good to me. You complain about your boss. You complain about your job. You complain about the city we live in. You complain about your child's teacher. You complain about your school. You complain about your wife or your husband. You complain about your children. And all you're doing is you're choking on a Pekingese. You're choking on these little things. You're saying, God, you have not been good to me. You're lying to yourself and you're lying to God. For God has been good to everybody in this room this morning. Hallelujah. God has been good. Look at that cross. Look at that cross. Look at that cross. God has been good to you this morning. It's okay to grieve your loss, but don't complain against God. Don't choke on that pick and ease. Instead, say, God, I put my faith and I put my trust in you. God is at work in your life this morning. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for you. Dear Father, I thank you this morning that you have taught us from your word. Everything does begin as a seed. You're a God of order. It begins with a word, a dream, a thought, a proposal, a kiss, an act of intimacy, a gift. And whatever we plant, Lord, we can count on you to be at work. Can you say amen to that? Lord, everything starts, but nothing can happen until we plant. Nothing can happen until we sow. And for some, Lord, maybe they've sowed the wrong thing. Maybe they've sowed... Maybe they've sowed, Lord, to the evil one. Maybe they've sowed unkindness. Maybe they've sowed bitterness. Maybe they've sowed sowed into other people's life negativity and criticism. And God, would you convict them this morning? They cannot expect something good and positive to come out of that. And I just pray they will agree with you and say, forgive me. And help me to begin to plant seeds of faith this morning. Seeds of kindness. Seeds of love. Seeds of peace. Will you say amen to that as well this morning? And Lord, would you teach me that there are different times of harvest? Every season, every seed has a different season. So, Lord, I bring my tithe and my offerings to you this morning, and I'm counting on you, God. I'm trusting you, and I admit, and would you forgive me? It's just a little bit scary to start putting my faith in you and to bring my tithe, the 10% to you. But I believe that, God, you will cause the 90% to abound. And Lord, it's scary to think that I can start paying myself 10% because there's so many other creditors and things. But Lord, your word has shown me this series that I need to pay myself as well. My family needs me to do that. 
And Lord, I have trusted myself too often, and I'm ashamed to admit that. But this morning, I want to trust you. Would you say amen to that if you agree with me on that this morning? So today, Father, now's the time. Now's the time to extend love. Now's the time to extend friendship. Now's the time to reach out. Maybe I can begin in a small way this week by just buying somebody a cup of coffee. I'm just dreaming with you, Lord. Maybe I can begin in a small way by taking a basket of bread or cookies to my neighbor and just saying, I'm so glad you're my neighbor. Not expecting anything from them, but I know that you're at work. And maybe for you, today is the day of salvation. There's a reason you got up and came to church when so many others are afraid to come when it's snowing like this. You're here because God brought you here. In the last week, last two weeks, 11 people have given their hearts to Christ. And this morning, maybe now is the time, the scripture says now is the time of salvation. There's never going to be a perfect time to give your heart to Christ. There's never going to be a perfect time to say, Jesus, I want you to rule my life spiritually, emotionally, financially. I commit my eternity to you. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? Just by inviting Christ into your life, saying you accept his forgiveness for your sins. While my eyes are bowed and everybody else is bowed, you can look at that cross and remember what I just said. God's been good to you, friend. He loves you. So would you just pray this with me quietly? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving my sins at Calvary. Thank you for loving me. And I want you to be the Lord, the master and the manager of my life. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And if you did that in just a moment when we received the tithes and the offerings, there's a card. You don't understand it all yet. I know that. But you just check that card and say, Pastor, I've given my life to Jesus. I've got something to give you this morning and I want to email you this week. So fill that card out and give me your email address if you would. And I want to encourage you. But now while nobody else is looking around but myself, if you committed your life to Christ, would you lift up your hand and say, Pastor, I want you to be the first to know I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Anyone else? Well, let's give God a big hand of praise for that this morning. Amen. 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 So God bless you. You can be seated.